look, we've been um, looking at the book of Ephesians um, recently with Bruce and also um, Ken Rout mentioned it. And I'm just going to be continuing today. A couple today and next week, a, a little bit on the continuing the series of Ephesians, trying to link the, the God-given truth within this fabulous book of the Bible with the reality of our lives. I want to start, first of all, by giving you a little introduction. And as, go, as we go through the year, as people speak about the book of Ephesians, they'll bring little snippets of truth to the background of the book that you can just put into place, and it makes the book actually make a little bit more sense. Now, the letter to the church in Ephesians, like Colossians in Philemon, that tiny little book of Philemon, was written during a period in Paul's life when he was in prison. Now, he was in prison a lot, so you need to understand the context of which prison he was in and what time he was in when he was writing to the book, in the book of Ephesians. Um, he was actually in Rome at the time when he wrote the book of Ephesians and Colossians, and the prison environment in Rome was a little bit more like a house arrest rather than a really rugged, horrible, dark, damp, isolating prison, and he knew, he knew a fair few of those. He knew a fair few of those in his life, but the context where he's writing into us in Ephesians is about 60 years after the birth of Jesus, and the book of Ephesians is very different to the other two books that he wrote at the same time. He doesn't warn about deceptive philosophies as he does in Colossians, but instead he writes the most magnificent part of the Bible about a greater knowledge and experience that we can have of God for ourselves. And do you know one of the reasons he could do that in the book of Colossians was because unlike when he writes the book of, to the church at Colossae, he actually went to Ephesians, to Ephesus. He actually lived amongst the people. The Apostle Paul physically spent two years, around two years of his life, with the people that he was writing the book to. So he knew he could get rid of all this superficial stuff and go right to what really mattered about the love of God and the knowledge and experience that we can have. Okay? Now, the other thing in Colossians that's amazing is that in Colossians, when he was, when he was with, sorry, with the church at, at Ephesus, the interesting thing was there was an unparalleled demonstration of the power of God written in Acts 19, if you want to read it for yourself. In that two-year period, there was an unparalleled demonstration of the power of God. It says in Acts 19 that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, and there was a great demonstration of God's glory. Now, I've been looking and spending some time in a fabulous book that I've picked up. As you can see, it's got lots of little bits out of it because they're all bits I want to remember where they are. And it's a book about the life of Paul. And I'd recommend some of you to pick it up. It's by Beth Moore. Some of the women have done Bible studies on it. And it's called To Live is Christ. And I just want to read you a wonderful little passage out of here um, as she describes something about one of her children. She says, My oldest daughter, Amanda, was very frightened of storms when she was little. Loud peals of thunder set her and sent her into panic. And, we, and we, even when, we, when she was in the safety within our own home. 
Now one day when the sky seemed to be falling, I held her arms in my arms and I said, Honey, the heavens are just displaying the glory of God. They're showing how mighty God is. And she says, some weeks later, she was upstairs playing in her room when another storm hit, even stronger and more ferocious than the one before. And she said, I heard her little steps, her feet scurrying down the stairs, coming to me, but this time she shouted at the top of her lungs, Mummy, God is really showing off today. The book of Ephesians is where God shows off his amazing glory and he talks and we we find out in the book of Ephesians um, that when Paul lived amongst the people, he was showing off the power of God. God showed his power in amazing ways. It says that that Paul surely knew the heights and the depths in Ephesus. Satan attacked the apostle Paul relentlessly but he was no match for the power of God. Righteousness prevailed, repentance fell, and Paul had never been more greatly used than he was when he was with the church at Ephesus. The other thing to note was in this two-year period, it was an effective ministry in the city established deep bonds of love with the early church. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the Apostle Paul. I'm not sure what kind of personality you think he had. But turn with me for a moment to Acts 20 and have a look at this. This is when Paul is about to leave the church at Ephesus. And it says, And they all wept freely, and they threw their arms around Paul's neck and kissed him fervently and repeatedly. Being especially distressed and sorrowful because he had stated that they were about to see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. That's a little bit of context of Paul's time with the church in Ephesus, which allowed him to write when he was in prison in Rome to that church, such a magnificent book. If you look, if, do any of you have a Bible with headings, chapter headings on today? If you have a look at those for a moment. If you look in the Bible and you've got chapter headings, you'll come across the most amazing things. That gives us the context to which Paul was writing and the kind of things that he's addressing in the book of Ephesians. I've been also reading one of Tom Wright's books on the book of Ephesians. And he's got chapter headings like The Inheritance of the Spirit, Knowing the Power of the King, Grace and Not Works, God's Secret Plan Unveiled at Last, God's Love, God's Power in Us, Growing Up Christianity, Darkness and Light in Matters of Sex, Wives and Husbands, God's Complete Armour, Prayer and peace. Now that's just a little bit of context I wanted to set before I move into more of what we're going to speak of today and where my message is heading. So if you look at the book of Ephesians, Bruce has very aptly done two sessions on the book of Ephesians. He did the first few chapters and then halfway through he did another another Sunday morning on the second. And I was talking to Bruce about how we're going to develop it as a church as we go through this series over a period of a year. 
And in many ways, in my mind, it's like, first of all, the first half is who God is, and the second half is virtually about who we are in him, our relationship to himself, our relationship to ourselves, and also our relationship to others. He touches areas like marriage. He touches areas like community. What does it mean to be a community of people? Where do I fit in that community? And he tackles the relationship to the enemy. So it's a bit like saying, know your God, know your value or worth, know your place where you fit, know your community, and know your enemy. So over a period of a whole year, we're going to have people coming in and out of the book of Ephesians, just going wherever they feel at the, at the stage that they're speaking to us as a church, what they can add to what's gone before them. Now, my message today, as I move on to my message, it's been entitled, The Way Up is the Way Down. I want you to stick with me as I carry through a thread. My message this morning hinges on two verses in Ephesians, and I don't know whether when you're reading a book of the Bible, it's like one verse just jumps right out in front of you, and two verses that have always jumped out in front of me have been Ephesians 2 verse 10 and Ephesians 3 verse 20. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand. Ephesians 3 verse 20, aren't they magnificent verses? Just let them settle in your heart. Now unto him, who by the consequence of his action, of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far above, Anything that we would dare to ask or think, infinitely beyond our prayers, our desires, our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. Aren't they magnificent pieces of scripture? Magnificent pieces of scripture. I want to ask two questions today, and I'll go backwards and forwards and in and out of them. What causes some people to fulfill their God-given potential, which we've just read about in Ephesians 2 verse 10, and others to merely dance around the edges, never truly achieving what God had in mind for them? What stops the dreamers dreaming? What stops the hopers hoping? What stops the visionaries from having dreams? When God promises in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that way above, far above, even all of those things, God's plan is to be at work in our lives. I loved Ken's message last week for those of you who are here. Ken talked about adventure. He said, don't lose the adventure God has for you. Greater than all of those dreams, visions and wildest hopes, Be an adventurer in God. Never settle for anything less. The church at Ephesus knew those scriptures well, but they knew they also came at a price. They knew that they came at a price, and that price was complete abandonment. 
to all that God had in mind. Now, for some of you who know me well, you've been following a little bit about my professional journey as a clinical pharmacist that has moved into an area of prescribing medicines. And when we prescribe and write a script for people, it's normally for a medicine, obviously, that's what it is, but we also have tucked away in our back pocket a script that we can write that's not got anything to do with medicines. It's about lifestyle advice. And it's called a green prescription. And today I would like not to write a script with medicines for you to take because it's not that simple. I want to write for us today a green prescription which just takes us for a moment to stop and think, how's my spiritual health? How am I when I look at verses like Ephesians 2 verse 10 and Ephesians 3 verse 20? Where am I placed? Is it all just simply... A dream? Is it just theoretical? Is it just theological? Or am I moving on in my walk with God? Bruce laid a very important foundation for us when he mentioned that absolutely none of this is possible without the God factor. Absolutely none of this is, is without, possible without God being right in the midst Now, my mind often asks when I read fantastic scriptures like Ephesians 3 verse 20, what came before those scriptures? So often we latch onto a scripture and we don't put it into context. Now that wonderful scripture of Ephesians 3 verse 20, now unto him who is able to do way above our dreams, our thoughts, our prayers, etc., is preceded by Ephesians 16 to 19. Now I just want you to listen to them. I don't want you to read them. I'm not going to put them up on screen. But before that amazing scripture about God at work in our lives, this is what happens. And I want you to think as I'm speaking about words, the adjectives that Paul uses to describe what he's describing. May God grant out of the rich treasury of his glory for you to be strengthened and reinforced with the mighty power in the inner man of the Holy Spirit. May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts, that you might be rooted deep in the love and founded securely on the love of God, that you may have the power And be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of God. That you may actually come to know practically through experience for yourself. Not something in your head, not something that someone else has said that you may practically for yourself experience the love of God, which far surpasses merely knowing and having a knowledge of him, but that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are the verses that come before the ones about our dreams, our aspirations, and our hope. And they use words like to be strengthened, reinforced, rooted deep in the love, founded securely in the love of God. 
If you don't know God's love for yourself, it's merely superficial. It hasn't gone below the surface of your life. You can't read a verse like Ephesians 3 verse 20 and expect it to be reality in our lives. Always read before a verse the context. Do you know the love of God for yourself? Not intellectually, but if I was to ask you a question, what does the love of God look like? What would be the first thing you'd describe to me what the love of God looks like? What would you say? Beyond the jargon and the flowery language we use about the love of God, what would you say if I was to ask you today, what does the love of God look like in your life? I believe a question like this is really important for two things. Because the love of God is a fundamental, unchanging characteristic of God himself. It's not negotiable. God is love. He can never change. That, that can never be le- weakened. It can, there can never be a crack in the character of God. It's a foundational stone of his character. But do you know, we're encouraged to get rooted deep down in the love of God and securely in his love. To explore the breadth, the depth, and the full dimension of it for a reason. Those adjectives, rooted, grounded, secured, reinforced, the reason is hidden within those those adjectives because the love of God and your perception of it in the circumstances of your life will be challenging that. In the circumstances of your life, there will be things that come your way that stare you right in the face to challenge that God is a loving God. And I reckon if I quietly, without asking anybody to particularly say it, in in each of our lives we can think of circumstances that we've had to come face to face with and it's challenged God is a loving God. And that is the reason that many people fall away from following him. They have not put their roots securely into the foundation below the surface of their lives. All that you can see is superficial, but underneath the surface of their lives, they haven't gone deep into the love of God. And for some people, the love of God is something that's, that's debatable, that can be challenged instead of being secured. I want to encourage us today to dig deep and go below the surface in our lives because the love of God, which is fundamental and foundational to his character, will be challenged if it hasn't been at some stages in our lives. Many people fall by the wayside when circumstances come their way because we need to know this and be secured in the love of God We need to, before we end up doing, we need to be. We need to know who we are. And that's why the book of Ephesians spends the whole first first three chapters of the book asking us, telling us, encouraging us to get back and find out who we are in God. Because we need to be secure in that before we need to be in God before we do in God. 
And I can't wait to get on to some other parts of Ephesians where we start to talk about where do I fit? What are my gifts? Where do I, where do I work in this community? But unless individually each of us are secured in the love of God, it will be a much harder challenge to, to find what we're meant to be doing. And we will do it for the wrong reason. It is inevitable that life storms will come, that earthquakes will attempt to devastate. Like a tsunami, it will cut, they come in our lives and they can leave our faith destitute. In fact, another way that the love of God gets challenged, which I think is actually often more fitting or actually more, it happens more in our lives than big circumstances often, is that slowly it just ebbs out of us. That passion we had for God, that excitement when we first found him for ourselves, and all those chapters, those first three chapters of Ephesians were alive, But suddenly, look, just the cares of life, you know, the busyness of life slowly erodes what were roots that should have gone deep into his love. And we've become like a tree that's just got shallow, superficial roots. I remember a time in my life when I was struggling with a few things. I had little kids all around me. I was living with them. In, in a mission organization, we didn't even have enough money. We had enough money just for toothpaste. That was it. That's all we had. And I went up to One Tree Hill and sat under a tree, feeling miserable for myself. And God just said, look at that tree. And I looked at a tree. It was a magnificent oak tree. But it had real superficial roots. They were all up the top instead of deep down into the roots, into the earth itself. And the branches were so heavily weighed down with, like my life at that stage, with cares and worries and not knowing what to do and how to do it. And God said, look, if, you put your, if, you, if your roots are as superficial as that, of course it will feel like a burden to live life and to follow after me. I want you to put your roots deep into my love. I want, don't want to see those superficial roots anymore. I want you to go down deep into the richness of who I am. Do you know, my life has had a privilege of being surrounded by some wonderful families, family members and friends some of who are here today, who have looked right into the very face of challenges in their lives and or tragedy and proclaimed that despite what is staring them in their face, despite what it feels like, the one unnegotiable, non-negotiable thing is that God is love. What a privilege I've had to be surrounded by family and friends, faced with challenges and tragedies, and still, and I know, when you know a friend, you know them really well, so behind the scenes, what they look like they're saying and what they really are saying, I know I have some wonderful friends and family who can say, in the midst of great tragedy and trials, God is love. I've had a few storms of my own. I've known an anchor that in the middle of some of the most violent storms, can still hold me tight because I'm convinced that God is love. A couple of quotes that just to encourage you that, you know, if life's tough, that doesn't mean that God is not with you. One quote from Oswald Chambers said, Troubles nearly always, always make us look to God. His blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. Is that not true? 
Troubles nearly always make us look to God. His blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. And I found one the other day that I'd never seen of C.S. Lewis's. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Not shouting bad things and harsh things, but we hear him acutely often in the hardest periods of our lives. I believe the main thing I want to speak about today is that God wants us to build a life below ground zero. And I want you to think about what you're building below ground zero today. What are you building into your life, not just by being here and hearing God's word in an environment like this, but when you're alone and what the rest of the week looks like? You see, a tree, a tree whose root system is forced to go underground to find its nourishment, not only found, not found in the superficial root system, but in the deep underground, is strength, finds strength that is gained for the purpose for which it was created, to bear fruit. I'm going to be talking next week a little bit about the art of fruit bearing. And a lot of it can be brought back to an analogy of a tree. A tree that goes deep into the under the surface and builds strong roots can draw up the nourishment that's required for to go and do the very thing it was created for, to bear fruit. Have a look at Psalm 1 for a moment. Just again, just something to just soak into you. I'll read it to you. Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3 talks about blessed or happy is the person who, puts, who, who walks and lives not only under the counsel of the ungodly but, but, and doesn't sit with the others that are scoffing, etc., but his delight and desire is in the law of the Lord. And verse 3, it says that he shall be like a tree, firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also does not fade or wither, and everything that it does shall prosper. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, as you can see from some of the other quotes that are are versions um, of those verses. When you read everything that he does shall prosper, in brackets, it reminds me that the Greek word is mature. And it's very different to prosper in the way that we look at it. As we put our roots deep down into the love of God, it's not that everything in life is going to turn out without challenge or without difficulty or without trial. But we are going to mature. And that's a different process, isn't it? There are a number of paradoxes in Scripture. One of them is that to find our life, we must lose it. Here's another one, and this is really the essence of what I want to leave you with today. The way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. If you want to grow in God, if you want to move on to the things that he's planned and purposed and predestined for you when he thought of you before you were even conceived, if you want to move into those things and Work with God, work with his people to fulfill his purpose in your life. If you want to see things beyond what you could even dream of or think of or imagine, the way to God is down deep into his roots. Now, Claire Russell has um, 
blessed me in many, many ways. Now, Claire is our, our missionary over there in, in uh, Myanmar, or on the border of Myanmar in Thailand. And once again, a book that I was just saying to somebody the other day, I think it was to Bruce, I read this book every year just to ground me, just to remind me of where my life is at and where it's heading. It's called Let Your Life Speak. Listening, it's Let Your Life Speak by a guy called um, Parker J. Palmer. It's an amazing, got a number of chapters that are amazing, but you know, his own personal story, he says, I had always imagined God to be in the same general direction as everything else that I valued, and that was up. I failed to appreciate the true meaning of some words that had intrigued me when I went through theological school, where there was a description of God as being the ground of being. I had to be forced underground by the circumstances of my life before I could understand that the way to God is not up, but down. This man here emerged from depression, deep, deep deep-rooted depression, having fallen off the rails of a hugely successful academic career. And he sought refuge in a Christian community. It was a Quaker community. And in there, he found rich experience of the love of God for himself. He said, I felt when I emerged from my deep depression, I felt more at home in my own skin, at home home in the face of the earth with a newfound fruitfulness because he'd experienced a deep experience of the love of God in one of the most difficult periods of his life. He went on, it says in here, that he went, that he's a teacher, a writer, and he, he's also um, a senior associate of the American Association for Higher Education, a senior advisor to many people. And in 1998, this man who was forced underground to truly experience the love of God for himself has been, has been mentioned as one of the 30 most influential senior leaders in education, in higher education in America. I know that some people here today have had really difficult experiences in life. I don't know you all that well. I know many of you quite well. And I know that for some of you, these challenges have been really, really difficult. And so, in fact, some of you are still in the middle of them. You're right in the middle of circumstances that if you took a moment and looked right at them, in your mind you're wondering, where is the love of God? Where is the love of God? I want to tell you that in these difficult experiences of life, we're forced to go underground, and that is not a bad thing. When things go extremely well in our life, we can become quite superficial, and we just, you know, occasionally move in and out of this little word of God here, the word of God. Other times, we're just a bit too busy. I tell you what, when we get challenged by some circumstances that are trying to take us out We are forced to go into the word of God. I want to encourage you, if you're going in the middle of circumstances today, get into the word of God. Get rooted deeply in. If you don't know anything else in life at the moment that's stable, I encourage you, get into his word. Get into his word. It will hold you 
as an anchor in the storms of life. It will hold you as an anchor in the storms of life. Do you remember Simon and Liz Evans coming and sharing recently, maybe about six months ago? They talked about the challenges that had come for them in the, in, in the storms of life financially, where they were penniless. At 50-something, they were penniless. It's caused them to go back to what they were passionate about when they were in their young 20s and find the call of God again on their lives because they've just had time on their hands. They've been challenged by all sorts of circumstances. They've revisited a call that God has always had on their lives and they would say for themselves that when things have been going well, they haven't taken too much note of that. But as they've gone back through the circumstances of life, it's been rekindled. Isaiah, when he heard that call, when he overheard God and he put up his hand and said, God, if you've got something to do, choose me, pick me. Once again, the circumstances when Isaiah put up his hand and said, I'll go, here I am, send me. Go and look at it yourself. Find out what the circumstances of his life were like at that stage. They were not stable. They were challenging. And it was through that that he revisited and found um, that he had a place to play. And he put up his hand and he said, God, send me. I want a little bit of a word of encouragement to some of you today. Um, I said before that when Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, it came from a prison experience in Rome where it was more like house arrest. He was actually even able to go out and preach. Um, But Paul had other prisons in his life that were nowhere near as comfortable as that prison in Rome. And his prison experience in Jerusalem, mentioned in Acts 23, verse 11, was unlike that comfortable house arrest. In fact, Paul's life was at stake in the circumstances of his life when he was in prison in Jerusalem. It got so bad that some zealous Jews, 40 of them in total, decided they would not eat another piece of food until they had killed Paul, until he was devastated and there was nothing left of his life and he was murdered. They had a scheme, they had a plot. And Acts 23 verse 11, in context, what happened? It said that the following night, this is such a neat story, The following night, in this dark, damp, lonely prison, all by himself, and if you can imagine the worst type of of imprisonment, this would have been it, in Jerusalem. It said the following night, when he knew that these 40 zealous Jews were, were, were plotting to kill him, that he maybe had no more than a day left to live. It says the following night, in Acts 23, verse 11, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you testified to me in Jerusalem, you will do so in Rome. In one of the the hardest parts of his life, not the spirit of the Lord, not through another person, but unless scripture can't be trusted, it said the Lord himself visited him in this scenario in the circumstance of life. Why did Jesus himself draw so physically close to Paul at this particular moment? 
when he was overcome with fear and convinced that he maybe had no longer a life left to live? I believe because Jesus wanted him to show him the love of God in the flesh. He wanted to show him the love of God in person. As we go into the Easter, Easter season, I've been talking to my son Andre and at, uh, at home, and as you know, he's, he's a theologian, and I was wanting to know a little bit about my message and where to head. And he, what he was saying to me was, does life always have to make sense? Does life always have to be that in order to trust the love of God, we have to have everything in neat tidy little boxes. What does the love of God look like when we've still got questions in our head? What does the love of God look like when trials and challenges come? When things are not that easy to put into boxes? We we, we just don't know where to go. The greatest expression of the love of God has been completed. It's been accomplished. It's been expressed. And as we head towards Easter, we need to be reminded that the highest evidence of the love of God has already occurred. The center, when Jesus came here and lived amongst us, lived, died, and rose again, this was God's expression of his love at the highest level. Listen to this. The center of salvation is the cross of Jesus. And the reason it's so easy to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. The cross is the point where God and sinful men, man merge with a crash and the way to life is opened. But the crash is on the heart of God. Andre was explaining to me that in, when the book of Ephesians was written... The early to the early church, it was so alive. If 60 AD is when the book was written, that's 60 years after the birth of Jesus. There were people who had already met Jesus, who'd seen him for himself. They'd lived through Easter Friday and Easter and come out on Easter Sunday. But some of you will remember an amazing message of, that Andre actually did on. What did it feel like to live in the Saturday between the two without really knowing what was going to be the outcome in the end? Jesus came to teach us what the love of God was really like in the flesh. And to the church at Ephesians, that meant everything. God's love was not negotiable. It was not up for debate. He had expressed his love through sending his son Jesus. And when Jesus came and lived amongst us, the people could see God in the flesh. I want to finish by saying, ask the woman at the well, seeking love in all the wrong places, when she met a stranger, Jesus himself, what did the love of God look like then? Ask Nicodemus, the tax collector with shady accounting systems, guilty to the core, living daily with the guilt and shame of sin. Ask Nicodemus what it felt like when he was called down from that tree. What did the love of God look like? 
Ask Peter on the shores of Galilee when he had denied his master three times and that jolly rooster decided to echo it three times. What his shame felt like, but then the relief when he met Jesus on the shores of Galilee and he forgave him and he went on to live the most amazing life for God with the power of God. Ask the woman caught in the most embarrassing state of compromise as stones were about to be hurtled and hurtled at her to kill her. What did the love of God look like with Jesus standing in front of her? It was staring her in the face. Jesus, in front of each of these people, was the love of God with skin on. I couldn't help but think another analogy. Ask the sheep that was lost. Don't go and talk to the 99 that were fine. Talk to the one sheep. And I, I know that some of you have got wonderful testimonies of being that one in a hundred sheep. But just imagine what that sheep felt like, resting on the, on the shoulders of the shepherd, taken back to safety. This was the love of God. This is the love of God in action. What causes some people to fulfill and others to merely dance around the edges, never achieving or reaching their potential in, in God? What stops the dreamers from dreaming, the hopers to stop hoping, the visionaries to no longer have dreams when God promises this? My message today is that it's possible that people have not built a life below ground zero. We need to be encouraged to live and build a life below the surface, focusing and not preoccupied with what's on the top and superficial, but instead to understand that the way up is the way down into the roots and the love of God. That's why the first half of Ephesians talks about who God is and who we are in him. I want to encourage you this coming week to read not the second part of Ephesians, but the first three chapters. I want to encourage you, whatever circumstances you're facing, that God is a God of love. I want to encourage you to secure and not make it non-negotiable, but find God for yourself this coming week. The center of salvation is the cross of Jesus. And the reason it's so easy to obtain salvation is because it cost God so much. The cross is the point where God and sinful man merge with a, with a crash and the way to God is open. But the crash is on the heart of God. Next week I want to move on to another part of my green prescription for you. Other than needing to be encouraged to build a life below ground zero, I want to move on to, next week, another reason why we stumble and don't fulfill our potential in God, and that's because we've never been totally taken up by the bigger story. We've never been lost to the bigger story, and we ask far too many questions about me and where I fit instead of letting the magnificent truth of the gospel really capture our hearts. And when it does, along with being secured in the love of God, we're a force to be reckoned with in the world around us.
God bless you.